scripture reading will come from the books of Acts, chapter 20, verses 31 through 35. Therefore watch and remember that for three years I did not cease to warn everyone night and day with tears. So now, brethren, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. Yes, you yourselves know that these hands have provided for my necessities and for those who were with me. I have shown you in every way by laboring like this that you must support the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, It is more blessed to give than to receive. Well, it's hard to believe that Thanksgiving is already over in 2018. And you know what that means, right? That means that we are full scale into Christmas time. It's already pretty much been Christmas in the grocery stores. Maybe you've heard the the music in the stores for the last several weeks. Really, I guess since Halloween, you've probably seen the Christmas stuff is getting out earlier and earlier every single year. And it's we just want some time to stop and maybe enjoy November, but usually we get forced into December as early as October. So for the rest of the year, we'll be thinking a lot about Christmas, right? If you ask a student or a child right now, rather, what they're thinking about, they'll probably tell you they're thinking a lot about their wish list. Because as a child, you're not really going to get a crack at something like this again until your birthday. So you've got to make sure that you've got that lineup just right. That you've got that toy that you really want at the top of the list and you kind of push everything else. Well, this can wait till the birthday or maybe even next year until Christmas. Uh, so if you ask a child maybe right now, they're going to tell you that they're thinking about their wish list. But if you ask an adult, they'll tell you something very different. If you ask an adult, now there might be a few of us who view the holidays with a lot of anxiety because of the travel and the gifts that we have to buy, but for everyone else who doesn't live atop Mount Crumpet, I think that the holidays are a nice time of year, right? If you ask an adult, they'll be thinking, or they might tell you how much they're looking forward to getting to spend some time with their families or to see people that they don't get to see very often. And they might recognize Not their wish list the most, but their shopping list instead. And that shopping list doesn't just represent a way for us to stress out and a way for us to lose more of our hard-earned money. That shopping list represents a way that we can show the people who mean the most to us that we actually appreciate them. So whether we have money or don't have money, it's not about the gift that we buy. It's about what's represented by the gift. It's about that appreciation. So I think then as we grow up, we kind of learn naturally that it's better to be selfless and not selfish. I think naturally we learned the lesson that was read for us just a moment ago from the teachings of Jesus that Paul quotes in Acts where he says it's better to give than it is to receive or it's more blessed to give to somebody than it is to receive something. I think that's something that we learn naturally as we grow up, but certainly it's something that we learn as we grow closer to Christ, that it's better to give than to Received. Now, in the context here, you might know that Paul is talking to the Ephesian elders for what is the last time. He tells them he knows he's not going to see them again. They won't look upon his face anymore. So it's kind of an emotional meeting between Paul and some of the men who are leading the church that he spent a few years with 
helping them grow and helping them learn about Christ in the inception of that church there in Ephesus. And he's going to remind them of how he worked with the church. So basically, this is Paul's final charge for those leaders of the Ephesian church. And he's telling them, I want you to remember the way that I served when I was here. I didn't covet anyone's silver or gold or clothing. He says, I was worried about supplying my own needs with my own hands. And when he gets to the end, he says, I want you to remember my example. And I want you to remember the words of Jesus that it's more blessed to give. It is better to give than it is to receive. So in the context, Paul is definitely talking about some material blessings here. He's telling these elders not to be gainers of money or gainers of gold and silver and apparel. He's telling them instead it's better to be givers. But there are a lot of other things that we can give than just our money, right? There's a lot of things that we can give other than the material blessings. And even wrapped up here in this teaching that Paul quotes from Jesus, he's reminding them not only to be givers instead of gainers of this gold and the silver and the apparel, but he's reminding them also not to be inherently gainers of the honor that comes with those types of things. Because as a leader in the church, certainly these men would have been tempted to be hungry for more power, hungry for more glory, hungry for more honor, on top of maybe being hungry for money and clothing and that sort of thing. And when we go to Romans chapter 12, if you want to turn over there, that's where we'll spend most of our time, or what we'll spend most of our time discussing. This is one of the verses that we've been thinking about uh, throughout the years. We've been focusing on one another, other in Romans chapter 12 and verse 10 is what we'll discuss this morning, where Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. In some translations it says, honor one another above yourselves, or maybe give preference to other people. The idea here is certainly that it's better to give honor than it is to receive honor. Now this word honor in the passage obviously has the idea of esteem or maybe um, the value that we put on someone's character. But it's interesting that the most widespread, the primary usage for this term is actually has to do with price or cost or value. And so when we bring this over into the world of talking about honoring one another. Now, certainly we're not talking about putting a, a monetary amount on someone's character or on someone's soul, but certainly when we decide to give someone our honor, aren't we making some type of evaluation call? Usually when we give someone our honor, we have to decide first if they are what? If they are worthy of our honor. So they have to have a certain level of value before we say, well, I'm going to honor this person. I'm going to show preference in honoring this one Or I'm going to show preference and maybe I'm not going to do that with so-and-so because maybe they don't deserve my honor. Someone else deserves it. And so we think of other teachings where Paul says maybe give honor to where honor is due or to whom honor is due. And we think, well, this person might not be necessarily due any honor. They might not have done anything to earn it. So I'm not going to give them any type of honor. But I think that Philippians chapter 2 that Dr. Heer mentioned for us a moment ago really gives us the best commentary. And if you want to go to Philippians chapter 2, you can see what Paul says about this here. What does it mean to honor one another above ourselves? Well, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, Paul is telling the people there that if there's any unity in Christ, if there's any unity, period, in Christ, he says, I want you to complete my joy by being of the same mind. I want you to have the same attitude that Jesus Christ himself had when he emptied himself and took the form of a servant and exalted others and humbled himself He says in verse 3, in humility, count one another's needs as more significant than your own. 
And I believe that is what it means to honor one another above ourselves, to in humility, to give preference to another person. This is a command then that challenges our attitudes of self-importance and self-significance. Now that being said, this is not a command to self-deprecate. This is not a command to think of yourself as a horrible person so that since you lower yourself so low, everyone else has nowhere to go but higher. The focus here is not on self-deprecating. The focus is on exalting our brothers and sisters in Christ. David Lipscomb in his commentary says this about it. This command is to seek not the highest honor for yourself, but in matters that are small and in matters that are great. Seek to confer honor on your brother rather than taking it yourself. And in the, times that we have, in the time that we have together this morning, I'd like for us to talk about two dangers of seeking to receive honor and then one profound blessing of giving honor. And I believe that by the end of our study this morning, we will indeed decide that it is better to give honor than it is to receive honor. And while there are many dangers that are prevalent in this concept of maybe seeking your own glory or trying to gain glory instead of give it, I believe the most dangerous one is this. When we seek our own glory, we marginalize God. When we seek to gain all the glory, when we seek to receive glory rather than seek to give it out or to give honor away, we can be in very serious danger of marginalizing God. That is, we want our name in bold print at the top of the paper. Now, we care about God, so we want to make sure God's on the page, but we don't have room for Him in between the margins because that's where we, like, that's where we're going to be, right? Our name's going to be in bold at the top. Everybody's going to know this is mine. And then we want to actually write everything in the lines and fill it in. But we want, we care about God, just not enough to keep Him outside the margins. We'll put Him on the page, but we'll make sure we just kind of push Him out of the way in the place that we don't really want to use anyway. There are several examples of that in Scripture, and perhaps even too obvious to mention would be the Pharisees. You can just a quick reading through Matthew chapter 6 will show you that these people were concerned. Yes, they were concerned about the glory of God and honoring God. They just were a lot more worried about their own honor and their own glory. So these are people who would, who would recognize God. They would certainly give to the needy in the name of God. They would pray to God. And they would even fast. They would practice these spiritual disciplines. But it wasn't for God's glory, was it? It was for their own glory. Sure, they were giving, they were praying, they were even fasting, but it wasn't for God. So for the Pharisees then, God was on the page, but He's just pushed off to the side so that they can receive glory rather than have to give any of it. Away, You see, for the Pharisees in their culture, in their world, honor was a, was a limited commodity. And they believed that if you walked into a conversation with somebody, the, the perception was this, I might have a certain level of honor, and you might have a certain level of honor. And when we come out of that conversation, especially if we're going to discuss matters of the law, then there's going to have to be an exchange take place here. If I'm right and you're wrong, your honor goes down and mine goes up. I gain honor. You have to give me yours, basically, because I was right. These Pharisees are much more concerned with gaining honor. And in fact, to give it away would mean that they lose their own. So they were very vested in making sure that they were the ones who were called master. They were the ones who were called teacher. So their glory was very important to them. God's was important, but just not as important as their own. Another example, though, I think is Ananias and Sapphira from Acts 
chapter 5. I'm sure you're familiar with their story. They lie to the apostles, and they're struck down for it immediately because of that. And that sticks in our mind because it's such a shocking story, right? In the context of the first few chapters of Acts, uh, Paul and John have already appeared before the council, but then they've been let go and they're still preaching Christ. Things are very positive here in the first few chapters of Acts. The church is growing This is the kingdom that has finally come. It's here. The apostles are working many uh, miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And then you get to chapter 5 and two people are killed for lying. It's a a shocking thing to read, but to really understand what's going on here, we need to back up to Acts chapter 4, the very end of the chapter. So if you want to look in Acts chapter 4, starting around verse 32, you'll find that the scene of the early church was beautiful, for lack of a better term. It says they had all things together in common. They didn't think anything was theirs. It's like, I buy this and this is mine. You buy yours and that's yours. And if you want to borrow mine for a little while, you can, but it's mine. And you better give it back. They had all things in common. They were selling things that were of great value to them. Some people even selling their homes and taking the money from their homes and bringing it to you. But can you imagine selling your house and coming in here and giving the money to the elders and saying, hey, Use this, distribute this as everybody has need. That's what the early church is doing. And one man, Barnabas by name, I'm sure you're familiar with, he sells a field that's worth a large sum of money, and he takes every last dime of that. He doesn't hold anything back for himself at all. He takes every last dime of that, and he lays it at the feet of the apostles. And he says, here, distribute to everyone as they have need. Ananias and Sapphira decide they want to do something similar. They have a field, they sell it, they keep some of the money for themselves, but they go to the apostles and they lie. They say, this is every last dime that we sold that field for. Use it as the people here have need. Now, we don't know why Ananias and Sapphira lied. The scripture does not tell us specifically why they lied. But I think it would be naive at best to forget the danger of the Pharisees from Matthew chapter 6. I think it would be naive to suggest that maybe they were not concerned with their image. Why would they lie? Well, because they want people to think they're giving every last dime of their money. Why would they want them to think that? Well, maybe, just maybe, because Barnabas had just done it. And imagine how everyone had been talking about Barnabas. How great is Barnabas? Let's honor Barnabas. How great is the name of Barnabas for doing this wonderful thing for the church? And certainly, that might have tempted Ananias and Sapphira to want to do something similar, but just not to be willing to go all the way. Now, sure, they were concerned. They gave a lot of money, but they held some back for themselves. They were really concerned mostly with their honor, with gaining honor in that community as givers, as generous people, even though they knew in their head that what they were proclaiming to be was a lie. Now, I think the problems of the Pharisees and Ananias and Sapphira are certainly not a first century problem. This idea of marginalizing God, of seeking to get glory instead of give glory to God in the first place. James Barclay once wrote, More than half of the trouble that arises in the church concerns privilege and prestige. Someone has not been given his or her due. Someone has just not been shown enough honor to suit them. And I wonder how many, when we think of the problems that arise, even in our families, and the problems that arise certainly within the church, how many of them would be solved if we truly acted like it was better to give honor than it was to receive honor? If we truly acted like it was better to show preference to other people 
rather than thinking that our ways and maybe our ideas are best all the time or maybe our needs are more important than someone else's needs. Now, I think in some very obvious ways, we can marginalize God by seeking to gain glory instead of seeking to give it to Him. Like, for example, I think coming to church this morning, coming to worship this morning is a great example. Why did you come? Well, a lot of times we come to worship not because we're really wanting to go and honor and glorify God, but because we know, well, if I don't go to church, people are going to start talking about me. If I don't go to church, somebody is going to be knocking on my door, or somebody's going to be calling me, hey, where are you at? And they might think less of me. My reputation might suffer if I don't go to worship, so I'm going to go to worship. The thought process is not, I'm not going to get the chance to express this great love and honor that I have for God if I don't go to worship. The thought is, well, if I don't go to worship, other people aren't going to honor me the way I want them to honor me. So I think in some very obvious ways, then we can marginalize God, and certainly in a lot of ways that are maybe more subtle. There are decisions we make all day long that are going to prove whether or not we think God's glory or our own glory is more important. Now, they're not us standing up on a box and praying on the street corner with eloquent words or making sure that we have trumpets playing when we give our money or something like that. But when we seek honor from other people, it's going to force us to marginalize God many times. And anybody who's been through middle school or high school knows this is true, right? You might have a group of friends that might be in your locker room or it might be in your classroom or wherever that maybe will give you honor if you act in a certain way. Or maybe if you use certain type of language. Or maybe if you send certain kinds of pictures over your phones. Or maybe if you behave in a certain or go to these certain places on the weekends. And that's, that doesn't change when we get older, right? Maybe you have some coworkers. Maybe you have a boss who's like that. They expect you to behave and speak and to do things with them that maybe you know will marginalize God. And when we come to that moment, when we decide I'm going to do this thing that I know does not honor God, we might not be saying it out loud and the thought might not even go directly through our head. But what we're doing is we're saying, I would rather have these people accept me and honor me than I would have God tell me in the end of all things, well done, good and faithful servant. I would rather my friends in the locker room honor me for swearing like a sailor all the time so I can look tough. I would rather have their respect now than have God tell me, well done, good and faithful servant. I would rather go out and and do these things with these types of people or or whatever it might be because I would rather have their acceptance now than to have God's eternal acceptance later. And Justin, I think I'm just going to use this mic because I think this one's cutting out on me. Is that all right? Yeah, we'll do that. I got a cold anyway, and I don't need to fight against a mic. I'm good just fighting against my own nose. Uh, It's fine for today. But I think it's pretty obvious sometimes where we can marginalize God for our own benefit, right? But a lot of times it's not so obvious. Maybe even in the little things like the clothes that we decide to wear, the cars we decide to drive, the houses we decide to live in. Uh, the things that we decide to post on our social media accounts, the thing that we decide to like on our social media accounts. Are we seeking the glory of God or are we seeking others? If you seek the honor and glory of the people around you, you will find it. You absolutely will find it. It's not that hard, right? If you want somebody's respect and honor, all you have to do is find out what they honor and respect. And then you do that. And with enough hard work and enough time, you will gain that honor. But if it's taking away from the glory of God, you better, you better enjoy that reward. Because as Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, you have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. 
So in the first place, we marginalize God. But the second danger we wanted to discuss this morning is that we can be tempted to marginalize others. And we began this idea a second ago where Paul says in Romans 12.10 that we should honor one another above ourselves. And we have, well, hang on a second. I know I need to be willing to give honor, and I will give honor to God. But let's pump the brakes here when you ask me to honor other people just kind of uh, without any sort of stipulations. You just want me to freely honor everyone? You want me to freely give preference to everyone? And I'm not sure I can do that because I think there are people that are not worthy of my honor. Now, we know from Philippians chapter 2 that Paul does not give us any qualifiers when he says to count others' needs more significant than your own. And humility, put somebody else in front of you. He doesn't say as long as they're nice to you. Or as long as they behave in a way all the time that meets your every need. Or as long as they, they do whatever it is that you think makes them worthy of honor. And I think we have a really hard time honoring other people. And it makes sense because if we have a hard time honoring God... Why wouldn't we have a hard time honoring other people who are not God? After all, God is the all-powerful creator and sustainer of the universe. He is all-loving. He is patient. He is kind. The people around you are not that. And if we have a hard time showing God, if we have a hard time letting God be on the page and not somewhere off in the margin, if we have a hard time giving God more honor than trying to take honor for ourselves, do you not think that we might have a hard time giving preference to another person who's just as flawed as we are? Now, maybe we can rally behind, let's give all our honor and glory to something perfect, and even then we struggle, but when we say, I have to give honor and glory to something imperfect, maybe we run in to a lot of major problems. And we wouldn't maybe say that we think we're more important or that we should have preference over someone else. Might not would say that out loud, but I wonder if sometimes our actions don't reveal otherwise. When it comes to things in the church that need to be done, well, I'm too busy for that. My time is so, I got a job, I got a family, I got this. I don't have time, somebody else has time for that. Their time's not as valuable as mine, let them do it. When it comes to giving money, well, you know, I, I need my money worse than, than they do. I mean, I, I need to keep my, well, this, is, this is an opportunity for somebody else to give. Let them give it. Their money doesn't mean as much as mine does. When we discuss matters of scripture, well, their study and their thoughts are not as valuable as mine, so disregard them and let's do this my way. You see, we might not ever say those things out loud, but I think how we react and the things that we do in different situations say every last word of that that we don't say ourselves. Our actions sometimes reveal exactly whether or not we're going to show someone else honor and give preference to them. Well, I know that there's a lot of other people maybe who have financial problems just like I do. I'm not the only one that's got financial difficulties, but we all need to give together. Or there's a lot of work that needs to be done. Well, I know everybody else has families. I know everybody else has jobs. I know everybody else is busy. Uh, Their time is just as valuable as mine. I should probably help out as well. And we can all do this together. See, there's a difference in trying to assume that we are more important than someone else and seeking to give preference to others. So then, finally, the profound blessing of giving honor. It is only in giving away honor that we can receive any honor that really means anything. You'll notice from Philippians chapter 2 
that Jesus humbled himself. And because of that, as Paul continues, it says, Therefore, God has exalted him. God opposes the proud, but he exalts the humble. If you want to gain the only honor that matters of hearing that well done, good and faithful servant, if we want to gain the honor of God, it demands that we give honor away freely. And we don't really need to talk about any other example than the example of Jesus. Consider Jesus in sharp contrast to the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees are so worried about demanding. Everybody calls them master. Everyone calls them teacher. They get the best seats at all the social gatherings. They want you to know just how important they are. And they want you to know that they are worthy of your honor. Meanwhile, while the Pharisees are all out competing and arguing with one another for more honor and more glory. Meanwhile, Jesus is in a room washing the feet of 12 uneducated men from a no-name town. Can you imagine God in the flesh... God in the flesh, becoming a servant to 12 poor, uneducated men from a no-name town. And one of them, by the way, was about to betray him for 30 pieces of metal. This is God in the flesh. If anyone has ever due honor and glory, it's him. In humility, counting others' needs more significant than his own, he washed those disciples' feet, trying to teach them a lesson. Trying to teach them that if I have done this for you, You ought to do this for each other. It is the mind of Christ that leads us then, as Paul says in Philippians 2. It is only the mind of Christ that leads us to seek to honor one another above ourselves in this way. Are we to put ourselves above Jesus and to say, well, I'll show honor to people, but not not the ones who don't deserve it. I will remind you, by the way, that Jesus did not just go to the cross to die for the people who believed in him. He went to the cross to die for the people who murdered him. He went to the cross. He endured that horrible torture as the son of God himself. And as he's being nailed to the cross, he doesn't say, Father, forgive everyone who believes in me. But don't forgive these people. These people are not worthy. I'm not worried about their needs above mine. I'm worried about the needs of the people who actually believe me. The people who nail his hands to the cross, he says, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. There's the example of Jesus. And are we to put ourselves above our master and say, well, I know I need to show preference to other people and show them honor, but not that person. Now, I'll do anything you ask me to do for somebody who I like in the church. But don't ask me to do for some, anything for someone who I don't like in the church or I don't like outside the church. Or if they're not, Are they a member of the church? No, I'm not going to help them. Jesus himself died for the very people who murdered him. And since he humbled himself, God exalted him. True honor only comes when we are willing to give away honor. May we always seek to give honor to God and to others rather than to take it all for ourselves. In conclusion, I'd like for us all to consider the old illustration about the three types of givers. The flint, the sponge, and the honeycomb. The flint will give, but only when you smash it. And even then, it only gives you sharp splinters that you can't really use. The sponge will give, but only when you squeeze it. And even then, it will only give as much as you can manage to squeeze out of it. But the honeycomb gives freely more than you'll ever need. Now, I wonder this morning, what kind of giver 
specifically in showing honor to God and honor to one another, what kind of giver are you? Are you like the flint and you have to be smashed to give out any type of, of honor to anyone else because ultimately you want it all for yourself and when it, when it does come out, it's too sharp for anybody to receive it? Or you like the sponge where, well, you'll do it, but only when somebody forces you to do it. Only when someone squeezes you and says, hey, I need you to go do this or I need you to show honor to these people in this way. You'll do it, but only when you're pressured to do it. Or you like the honeycomb who shows honor to God and to others simply because it is your nature as a child of God and fellow heir with Jesus Christ. If you're here this morning and you have not dedicated your life to Christ, there's no better way to show him honor and glory than by committing your life to follow him. By committing your life by grace through faith to come to the waters of baptism and to live your life controlled by the love of Christ. Or if you're here this morning and you need to renew that commitment that you made to honor God, there's no better way to honor him this morning than by asking for help, than by praying to him for help, whether that's in your pew or whether that's coming down here to the front pew to ask for the prayers of the church. There's no greater way to honor him this morning than by recommitting yourself. Whatever the case is, don't miss this opportunity as we sing now together. take it and put it into our lives each and every day. If you're visiting with us, we want you to know that you're our honored guest. Please stick around a few moments so we can get to know you and want to remind you that we will have services here tonight at 5 p.m.